When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome into Purple Daily, Matthew Collar. To start the show, we have Judd Zolgad here and then Mike Renner for Pro Football Focus uh, joins us at 2.30 to talk more NFL draft and maybe we'll have him grade another draft sim. He was thrilled by our draft sim last week. He said, I hit it out of the park. So I will, uh, yeah, thanks, Judd. Thanks, That's Judd. That's good. Yeah. Hit it. Home G- run. GM me, hit it out of the park with a uh, draft Matthew sim. Spielman. So I'll try to do that again before we get Mike Renner on. And also want to talk to him about these reports of Tua Tagovailoa potentially dropping. I just can't see it. Um, but there are reports. There's always are, right? Every time. Um and also, we have Ryan Clark on the show today at 3, is that right? Yep. And uh 3.30, Sam Ekstrom is going to talk about Kirk Cousins' first media availability since the Vikings traded Stephon Diggs. And I can give you the short version right now, which is there's really not a whole lot to report that Kirk Cousins said. Just that it was right for the team to grant him his wish to be traded, and he acknowledged that Stephon Diggs clearly wanted to be gone. Is so. this going to be the draft that is remembered for years as the draft where the smart teams cleaned up and the panicky dumb mm. teams did stupid things because of this it's very possible I, I you know there at every point in every sport when there's an analytic revolution you start to see teams sharpening their view on certain things and succeeding more than other teams or you see i'm not saying that every team that buys into analytics will win it's just that there are teams who take more of a a smarter, valued approach, and they take advantage of the teams that don't. So if back in the day you were thinking that Alfonso Soriano was worth paying a gazillion dollars or trading a bunch of prospects for him. I'm going to tell you right now. He he could be fun to watch, but he had an on-base percentage of like 310 or Mm -hmm. something. So he he was one of those anti-analytics players, and if you traded for him or you paid him a ton of money as the Chicago Cubs did, you probably didn't have things work out all that well. And we saw it in hockey too, where teams would start to sign guys for you know your um, who was the the Russell defenseman there for Calgary? He was just like a shot blocker and someone Chris traded, Russell. Chris Russell, that's right. Uh, and uh, you know they trade a first round pick for him or something. <laughs> but like, is what? the Tua thing you know, is is that because teams are saying, oh my god, I can't get my my doctors to him, I can't get my people mm. because of this? This feels. 
like a draft where you're going to have like 15, 10 to 15 teams that get all out of sorts. And, yeah. and they're convinced that because they can't do all of their official work that they're going to pass on guys or they're going to try and get cute and it's going to be stupid. Yeah. No, I mean, then that happens every single sure. year where there are uh, a number of teams who clearly overthink it uh, and maybe draft someone who had a great combine when their tape wasn't all that great or their production wasn't all that great or, say, get overwhelmed by someone's pro day when they throw a ball 70 yards in the air as opposed to someone's pro day that they should have worn gloves and didn't perform exceptionally well but were actually a really good quarterback. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, these these things tend to happen. So I would never be surprised by any result, including if Tua fell because everyone was so afraid of his injuries. I'm not buying that, though. I think someone wants Tua to fall because of I his injuries. I think you're right. Yes. I th- if, if I were to guess You've got to be right. that the Los Angeles Chargers, if I'm them, and I want Tua to get there to me after the Dolphins, and I would far prefer they draft Justin Herbert because I just don't think he's very good. But he is large, and he does throw it real hard. And so if you're them, you're like, yeah, uh, reporter who's calling me about the draft uh, we're really worried about Tua, but man, that Herbert, he's so tall. Like, you know, I mean, that that's what I would be doing. I would be trying to manipulate the media right. for yeah. this, this sort of thing and take any source that I can, any old friend in football, and tell them that's what we're thinking and hope that they put it that out there. That would never happen to us. Yeah, We'd never right. get used. Yeah, I mean... Lamar Jackson. No journalist ever been receiver, used Receiver. Receiver. You know, I, I would do that all the time. And then, you know, a lot of... Uh, instances, reporters or old friends will do favors or put stuff out there. I mean, how about last year with Kyler Murray? I mean, what, uh, a week before the draft or two weeks before the draft, Charlie Casserly says, you know what? I think he's a bad egg. I'm like, really? Well, I've never heard that. He's, he's like the best high school football player ever in Texas. And then he comes to college football and annihilates everybody. And uh, because he's also good at baseball, we, we've get it out there that he's got a bad attitude or something. I don't know. I mean, there's always these Cam Newton and his disingenuous smile. Most of the time, it works out that that guy gets taken still at the top. And I think that that's absolutely what will happen here. Tua's going number two, number three, number four, number five, somewhere in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. And then we'll all move on with our lives. But it is fascinating that this has become a story. And it's always, all right. Smokescreen season is yeah. on because yeah. I'm just I'm just not buying it that he would have been in everybody's top draft picks until just a week and a half ago when he's been putting out stuff to show that he is healthy right and getting looked at by doctors to prove that he actually is so somebody wants him someone wants to believe that wants you to believe and get scared and uh, there are great draft hijinks throughout history of players falling and you know getting fooled by this that and the other thing my favorite is the kobe bryant story of his shoe company putting it out there that if anyone but the lakers drafted him he would go play in italy Mm -hmm. and you know the charlotte hornets draft him and they trade for Vladdy Divac and probably felt good that night about like, oh, Divac's a good big man and uh, didn't exactly work out so much in their favor. Uh, but, you know, speaking of Tua, I have enjoyed a lot watching him play football during college, his college days because he can move around and he's got great accuracy and he'll get rid of the ball on in a lot of instances quick on those RPOs and make a fast and accurate throw and he can really throw it down the field. He's got these great receivers and he loves to throw it up down the sideline and have one of them go get it. But 
nobody, Judd, has ever matched Brett Favre in terms of watching entertainment value and fun. And last night, oh, I watched great. the entire 2009 Vikings and Packers game, You know, the first time that Favre played his old team yep. at the Metrodome. And it's dark and shadowy and sort of yucky looking. And, uh, you know, things wouldn't go so well for that dome after that. But <laughs> one thing really struck me is how much we base quarterbacks on what we see from their body language, mm-hmm. their faces, how much joy they're having playing the game in terms of just likability and even in judging how good we think they are. And Favre, of course, the throws. Oh, my God. Like You don't have to look at his face. But How about his, that cannon at 39? Just unreal. Almost 40. Times night. where he's putting his whole body into it. Oh, and yeah. the thing is moving faster than the camera can track it. That was his throw. But his joy for the game and how infectious that was for everybody else really stood way out to me. And I'm not saying that I forgot that Brett Favre had fun playing football. Okay, I mean, this is like my entire childhood. But... Having watched Kirk Cousins play football over the last couple of years, uh-huh. and you compare the body language of those two guys and uh-huh. how everyone around them reacts, there's a play where Sidney Rice is supposed to throw a pass, and he doesn't, and he just gets tackled. And the camera that is on Favre all night, anything that happens, somebody sneezes in the 50th row, and they're showing Favre's reaction. But he points at Sidney Rice, or appears to point at Sidney Rice, and gives him a thumbs up like, that was a good job. You don't want to throw that ball or whatever. Like, good way to just protect it or something. Yeah. And I just thought, Brett Favre is so cool and having so much fun out there that if you were on his team and Brett Favre pointed at you and gave you a thumbs up, you would feel like a million bucks. Oh, and guys did. And, and there are only a handful of individuals who've ever played team sports that could have that type of effect on people and everything. There's an interference in the end zone. Favre's holding up the holding sign. He was holding well, my did, guy. Did you, you see know, the play? He's so into it. From week three, the play where he throws a pass, I believe, it's the week three comeback, and I think it's that drive against the Niners. And they showed it in that Monday night game. Favre throws the ball, and as Barry and I think going down the field, the receiver is going down the field. Favre catches up to the play and throws a block on Patrick Willis, who I guess proceeds yes. to say, yes. what the bleep are you doing here for? I, and Favre's like, I, I goofed that play up, so I was going to throw a block. I said, Think about that. I said to think my, about Kirk Cousins doing that. Yes. I said to my wife, we were watching the game, oh. and I said, can you imagine having that guy as your teammate who ran 30 yards down the field and blocked the toughest damn linebacker in the league? Yeah, he, picked I mean, the, he picked the best can, guy at that time. Right. Can you imagine no. having that guy as your teammate? Like those, imagine if you're the offensive lineman playing with Favre and you're snapping him the ball and you're protecting him. Is there anybody who you want to block harder for in your no. entire life than that guy? Anybody? Sidney Rice drops a pass and it looked like there was a bit of a miscommunication oh, on where yeah. you're supposed to go. There he was. immediately jumps up and like, it's my fault. Yeah. It's me. It wasn't you, Brett. He didn't think that ball was coming to him. Yeah. Rice dro- drops a ball on a play where he clearly didn't think that he was going to be the intended target. The incredible thing, and this is the intangible about Favre that goes well beyond just being a great player. The incredible thing, and I saw this the night after his dad died in the Monday night game in Oakland, and you saw it last night on that replay, too. How many guys on the Vikings played out of their heads for him? And I'm not yep. talking, I'm not just talking offensive teammates. Jared Allen is incredible. Oh, He's yeah. unstoppable. Yeah. He and might have Jared, been the best player on the field. And Jared was great. But you could tell that Jared knew what that game meant to Brett, and Jared was not going to lose that game defensively. Right. 
Yeah. So, you, so your point and getting your teammates to respect you and love you that much. Percy loved him. Adrian loved him. And, and I'm not casting stones at Kirk or other quarterbacks that we've covered here, but Case had a little bit of that. Yeah. Like I did think the guys played hard for Case, and, and I think that guys loved Teddy as an equal sort of. Yeah. Teddy, Teddy was Teddy really had good. In a different way. But he didn't have. But Brett had this. Oh my God! It's Brett Favre. Yeah. And and guys loved uh, Brett Favre, but the only guy that I can think of that came close to. I'm going to play hard for as well, but it did not come, but it did not equal it in any way, shape, or form. Was at times 2017 with Case. Yeah. But the overall, when I watched guys play for Favre, it's the most off the charts thing I've seen because his mere presence and enthusiasm made all of them say, if that guy who's going to be in Canton in, in five short years, if he's going to play that hard, then I've got to play that hard. And, and the other thing is that. Everybody knew how important it was to him, and they knew how much pressure was on him because the pressure is not on Kevin Williams in that game, right? right? It's just not. Right. Like, if he has a bad game, no one's going to notice because everything is about Brett Favre, Brett Favre, Brett Favre. And to come out and perform like that right from the get-go, like he is into this game, there's no hesitation, there's there's just rockets being thrown everywhere, breaking people's fingers right off the bat, jumping up in the air, hands in the air, things like that. And uh, if you're on that team and you know how nervous he must have been and all the anxiety that goes into that week, and then you see him performing so loosely at that level, it's just raising the level of play of everybody else because they have to feel so great about it. Like when your leader is not nervous or right. doesn't come across that way or your leader is jacked up and he's just trying to go win a football game with you, I, I, it just, I think it has this trickle-down effect. And no, I would not criticize directly every other quarterback for not having this. He's one of the five people in history who has this pure joy about him and this way he connects with people that, you know, I will say that Pat Mahomes has shades of this that uh, Mm -hmm. you can really pick up on when you look at the behind the scenes stuff from the Super Bowl and the way that, you know, they're down 10 points in the fourth and he just walks over to Tyreek Hill and says, you know, I'm going to need to play from you. So let's go. You know, it's one of those things I like him, John Elway, only only some of the greatest played with this level of looseness. And uh, but it did make me think about Kirk Cousins and the viewing experience of watching Kirk Cousins, because I saw someone put out some statistics on Cousins where he ranked in this, where he ranked in that. And we know he had a great season last year overall, statistically. But he is one of the toughest quarterbacks to enjoy watching play because he gets sacked a lot, he looks miserable a lot, or he looks kind of shook a little bit. And when things get hairy, he's not the guy who's going to find a way to make a play. He's not the guy who's going to run 20 yards down the field, take a block. He's not going to get helicoptered in the air because he's diving for a touchdown like John Elway. Mm-hmm. And when you, as Vikings fans, even though it's been a roller coaster with these quarterbacks, there have been many fun quarterbacks to watch along the way. Um, you know, Randall Cunningham was super fun to watch him just throw the ball up in the air as far as he could. And I would say that Paul Pepper was, was really fun. The game that we did for like a throwback Thursday or way back Wednesday or something not that long ago, watching Culpepper take off and see linebackers not wanting to tackle him was hilarious. Yep. But his deep ball was great, and he just used to let it loose. And it's not a, a real like legitimate 
criticism of Cousins as a quarterback, like if you're doing the cold, hard, black and white evaluation. But as an entertainment product, you watch that last night. You watch everybody, not just him, but everybody just take his cues and, and play off of him and how much fun they were having as a great football team. And at that night, they knew it. And then last year, with even when the Vikings won, it never had this sort of feel. And it is never around Kirk Cousins had that sort of feel. And those people who wanted Case Keenum to be the quarterback long term, if part of their argument was, you know, he was pretty fun to watch at times, I'd buy that because you're paying for it. And that's the the almost one of the biggest criticisms you can have of Cousins is he's just he just isn't but he is, that fun. He he is, as I've said. Uh, before, too, he is the corporate quarterback. He's playing quarterback like he thinks it should be played. Favre was like, whatever, man. I mean, Favre would go out there. Look look at, go back to that October 5th, 2009 game. Look at the box score. Look at the amount of different guys the cop passes from Brett. He literally did not care that night. Jeff Dugan, Bernard Berrien, Sidney Rice, Percy Harvin. If you if you were an eligible receiver in that game in purple, (laughs) there was a chance a ball was coming your way, and it it might be in a key spot. And so, but this is again, it's not a knock at Kirk because the stats are are there and the box scores are. But when you watch Favre, it's instructive and it's a tutorial of why a guy like Favre who. By the way, in the end, there is a fighting chance he's going to rip your heart out. Yeah. yeah. But but it's why you say no regrets. But he's going to rip your heart out in the biggest game because he got you to the biggest game because and he it was, had many other But it's so fun getting the there. Yeah. It's the ride. Yeah. It's the far ride. Yeah. That's what I embraced. That's what I loved. Because, yes, ultimately, I saw him fail in 2003, 2004, um, 2009, and then 2010 went, went uh, sideways. But the four years, Matthew, that I covered this guy, there was never a year where I would say, you know what that was? That was pretty dull. <laughs> yeah. Never a year. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, his dad, his dad dies. He doesn't just play it the next night in Oakland. He plays one of the most incredible games I've mm-hmm. seen. I got chills. And there are guys, Wesley Walls is jumping up in the end zone to make yeah. a catch that, yeah. that at 74 he shouldn't have been making. <laughs> he was very but, old by that point. But it's, yeah. four, but it's four years of watching Favre and never coming away saying, you know, man, that was pretty, that was pretty boring. <laughs> it was always this stuff that yeah. was incredible. Yep, and I, I was thinking about this, just the players who are in this level and in this category – and again, it's it's not a fair criticism of Kirk Cousins because everyone falls short of Brett Favre's passion, including his competitor that night who had his stink face on at an early age, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, see, I, I was even saying this to my wife last night. He's like, you know, Rodgers, one reason he'll never get out of the shadow of Favre, even though they have the same number of Super Bowls and a lot of the same accomplishments, is because he's just not fun to watch sometimes. I mean, his arm can be fun. His athleticism, his crazy ability could be fun. But every time they show the guy, he's just like mad at somebody. Why didn't you go this way? What's, you know, and and he looks annoyed constantly playing football. And it's always been a big deal for me for just what someone, what I remember them looking like playing. Like when you see 
Tom Brady, you think of him being fired up on the sideline, but when he's in the pocket, he's just like ice cold. Like nothing in this world could possibly bother Tom Brady at this moment. It doesn't matter where he's playing the game. It doesn't matter who's on defense, who the defensive coordinator is. Nothing can stop this guy because he's just ice cold. And when you think of Manning, you actually think of Peyton Manning getting rattled sometimes and hopping around there in the pocket and and throwing some ducks that really shocked you. And and from that reason, I never loved watching Manning, even though you you but marvel. Didn't you at how love great the control though? Yes, of course. The, the line control of was just stuff like that. incredible to watch. But a lot of times, and if I just start to think about Peyton Manning and. Yep. and yeah, it's mar- when you go back and watch, it's marvelous. Like his ability He's to pick moving guys apart. left and right. Yeah. Oh, and his accuracy down the field and everything else. But there's also this like look on Manning's face sometimes and his body yeah. language that would look sort of shook. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't as much fun to watch as someone like Elway, who just always had dirt on his jersey and like, blood on his eye or something, you know, just uh, things like that. And I, I, if you were making an all time fun team, Brett Favre is your quarterback. Oh, without a question. And what? It's Moss is your receiver. I don't even know who's I'd second. I'd have to give this for some thought. Fun. Linemen, there'd be lots of them. Well, because they're focused all... close on offensive linemen. There are some fun ones. Um, but Favre, yeah, Favre, without a doubt, and Favre's ability. I, the thing with Brett too that I absolutely loved was Brett would get up at a press conference and wouldn't. Shut up, right? You talk and talk and talk and talk. And within that press conference, there would always be three sentences that were absolute gold. But he was so damn smart, too. Post-game with with, uh, with Tafoya after that win. You know, she's trying to get him yep, to say, it yep. felt good to beat the Packers. But did you notice? It was genius. What he did was he would, wouldn't say that, you know, the big win for the team and all that stuff. But did you notice the one thing he did? He referenced their quarterback. Yes. He wouldn't I, say Aaron Rodgers, and that is I the heard, genius yes. of far. I heard their quarterback, and you knew that that would get inside of uh, I texted Rogers a friend. Sure. I said, you remember that? Yep. I said, he didn't say the their guy's quarterback. name. Yep. Their quarterback, which he knew would bother Aaron. Yep. And then he said, you know, something about, like, well, we've got to play him again or whatever. Yep. You know, so he wasn't going to gloat just yet. And, and that, But my, he wouldn't say his name, which I absolutely loved, because he easily could have said, you know, Aaron had a really good night, too, or something. And, Wouldn't and do it. any of you missed it who were listening yesterday, Sage Rosenfels broke down sort of the X's and O's IQ of Brett Favre, and he talked about having this unbelievable feel for the game and how he would do things that were kind of risky because he knew he could get himself out of it if it went wrong on him. But one of those things is that first touchdown where clearly it's the right side of the field is where he's supposed to go with the football. He's supposed to like bootleg out or something and find somebody, and he slams on the brakes when somebody falls at his feet and sort of has to hop back and then knows exactly where his backside read is going to be yep. and fires a bullet. Now, I don't know you know, what the play was or anything like that, but just these plays that were off schedule or when something goes wrong and his ability to keep it alive, when you compare it to Cousins... You just see how big those differences oh, are and, yeah, yeah. and how big the differences are really even when it comes to winning games. Because gathering everybody behind you and have them on your back for a week four game or whatever, I mean, it doesn't matter who you were playing. They were going to be behind Favre like that is a big deal. And then the stuff, the off schedule, because like arm strength is great. The big time throws are, are great. I think he would have won if he had half the arm. 
just be, just the way that he played and his ability to see something that he, you wouldn't have expected to be there by any offensive coordinator drawing it up and he could find it. Uh, all of that was really, really fun to watch one of his classic performances oh, last night. The one play that I had forgotten about till last night is late in the game. The Vikings are up by a bunch, um, and it's third down, and Favre throws a bomb to Berrien. He completes the pass. Berrien's out of bounds. It brings up fourth down. The Vikings have to punt. I had forgotten. Childress was upset about that because there was no reason not to run the clock and run time. And those were the telltales about Brett, though. Yeah. Like, Brett would be very careful not to disparage the Packers, and of course he he was dying to beat them, but Brett would be very careful. But then he took that shot, and we all thought, he's he's trying to run this score up as much as possible, and I think Brad was mad about that. But it's just that type of thing that made that team, and that guy in particular, so intriguing to be around and cover. Because there were things that if you saw them, or he didn't say them, would allude to how he really felt. And that shot to Barry in, in the fourth quarter there, when you could have easily handed the ball yep, off to, yep. to Chester Taylor, not Adrian Peterson, Love Chester, Chester Taylor, Taylor who, I, who was great, and it would have run clock, that was the type of thing that made Far Favre and would drive coaches crazy, but the fans and people like us in the media would all love. I don't even know how you coach a player like that, because... You, a lot of times you just have to go like mm, whatever. I never I, saw him right? coached. I mean, you just Matthew. I never saw him coached. You just you just have to. I, I think like Holmgren talked about how frustrating yeah. it could be where he would tell Favre, "All right, the one thing you don't want to do here is run with the ball." And it was almost like he did it on purpose to be like, game. "Oh, I can run with the ball. Absolutely, yeah, I can definitely, I can do that. I can make that work." And uh, you know, the, anytime his highlight reel or anything comes up, you watch it for the throws, but then you're reminded that on a play to play to play basis. He is just so entertaining and so fun. And in a lot of ways, it made me jealous of you and Chip sitting up there in 2009, getting to watch Favre and live and cover his games. Oh, that, yeah, he was. He he would do. So I saw him play for for Sherman for two years in Green Bay and Childress for two years here. I can tell you. So that's what 32, 48, 64 regular season games. I never saw him coached in one. <laughs> yeah. Now Childress would get yep. mad. Yep. And would threaten him. Right. And he didn't care. But threatened him to do what? Yeah, exactly yeah, right. right. <laughs> exactly right. And him. and if he doesn't come back, you know, we, we all like Sage, but if Brett Favre does not come back in 2009, that team does not get a sniff of the conference oh, no. title yeah. game. It's good. It's think, a really good team. I think Sage would even tell you that, that they were really good, but NFC Championship is... But a, they're probably a, a first-round and out team, is my guess, without him. Well, that was fun. It was fun watching. Oh, it was we a did a little game. watch along during it last night. Yeah, and, I saw you guys uh, doing that. Was that good? It was. Yeah, no, it was fun. Antoine Winfield, of course, is making plays oh. uh, on the field. How good there. was he back then? Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, just you know, one of the things Sam Monson pointed out is sometimes he would be in a run fit, and the fullback would have him, and the fullback couldn't take him out. No, like he he would find a way to stick that fullback. Obviously, like not straight up like a linebacker would, but he would cut the fullback or something like that uh, to just get him in the way. His strength so valuable. His strength for his side size was off the charts. Antoine was so strong. Yeah, it was one of those like, yeah, that's right. He was as good as I thought he was. Mm-hmm. And then he, and he picked off Favre and somebody asked us a great question. Or I'm sorry, he picked off Rodgers and somebody asked us a great question like, is there any father-son combination ever picked off the same guy? I guess... Maybe we'll find out, but Rodgers doesn't like to throw picks. So I got to think the answer to that question is no, don't you? 
Um, I can't. I, I think can't of any imagine there's a father, father son, son defensive who's back off the same quarterback, but uh, that's how long quarterbacks play, I guess. All right, we'll take a break. Thank you, Judd, for Thank your you. time as always. And when we come back, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, and I've got all sorts of questions for him, but I want to know offensive line. That's important, right? We'll talk with him about it when we return. A quick thank you to DennisKirk.com for supporting Score North and Purple Daily. It's obviously crazy times right now, but one thing you still can do is get out and ride, and the weather seems to be telling us it's time to get you and your motorcycle ready for this year's riding season. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sport bike, dirt bike, or any other type of motorcycle, they have what you need. Over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 orders ship free, and they pay return shipping on helmets and apparel products. That's DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. with the Score North download, the 2009 Vikings, Game 163, the 2006 Twins, and KG's Wolves. You can relive them all and more this Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. with a Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Minnesota Sports Rewind available when, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, that's a Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon right here on Score North on AM 1500. This Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. over at scorenorth.com right now. We've got two series going on that are Vikings related from Matthew Collar and Judd Zolged. Judd has a five Vikings draft memories that he's going through. Yesterday, he introduced the series looking at the first round picks from the 2012 season for the Vikings this year. Going to 2011 looking at that draft for the Vikings. Also, Matthew Collar and PFF's Eric Eager have a series starting with Chapter 1, the 20 Greatest Journeyman Quarterback Seasons of All Time. You can go check that out right now over at scorenorth.com for free and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Matthew Collar here and joining us from Pro Football Focus is Mike Renner. And uh, Mike, I was listening to your podcast and uh, you, you just gave me a great idea for the show to have you on, Mike, which is taking players that might be interesting to the Vikings from their position and sort of their profile and having you tell me which one is better. Are you down? Uh, all in. Let's oh, do it. Okay. All right. So... C.J. Henderson is getting a lot of like huge buzz from the cornerback position. So, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't include him in this. But let, let's say, just for comparison's sake, because people fall all the time, C.J. Henderson versus Jeff Gladney versus Christian Fulton. Like, which one of those guys should I like more and which is realistic for the Vikings? I think you should like Christian Fulton more. I, I think when he was... In 2018, they played a lot more quarters at LSU. And again, I think the last time I was on, I talked about Mike Zimmer's sort of bread and butters, split field safety coverages, quarters, and other variations. Mm-hmm. That's been his MO. So uh, Fulton, that's when he was at his best. In off coverage, make plays on the football. Uh, he had the highest grade of any cornerback in the SEC that year. So uh, I think Fulton makes the most sense if he does fall there. Uh, Henderson, much more of a man corner. Gladney, 
good in his own right, would fit the system, but I'm not uh, – I just said Christian Fulton's just a better player in my opinion. Okay, let's talk safeties. Do you like Antoine Winfield Jr. more for the Vikings or Xavier McKinney, assuming that they move on from Anthony Harris to create the cap space? Oof, that one's tough. I'll probably go with Xavier McKinney. Both are both would be slam dunks in my mind in terms of uh, fit in that scheme and what they bring to the table. Xavier McKinney, though, just a little more physical in my, in my eyes, can be a little more versatile. Now, they don't usually use their safeties in a versatile role there in Minnesota, but I think he can provide a little bit more against the run. It's actually a very similar player to Harrison Smith there, which – uh, might be a little redundant, but I don't think it's that's a bad thing to have two Harrison Smiths. So uh, I, I'm a fan of his game. I'd probably go Xavier McKinney. Right. I was thinking the same thing. Anytime you bring up Harrison Smith's name, it's, uh, you can figure it out. I, I would trust Mike Zimmer yeah. enough to figure it out. And with your data and the draft guide, uh, I was just looking at how often he played in the slot, and it was a lot. I mean, he was playing there pretty regularly, yeah. and I think if you're the Vikings, what you want to have is even a situation where you could have three safeties on the field. They experimented with it with J. Ron Curse, but then J. Ron Curse kind of fell out of favor and just didn't get on the field a lot. But I, I, is that a new wave for like the next level? Because I feel like at the Combine, Mike, everybody was talking about who can be the Tyron Matthew who's moving all over the field, things like that, that Harrison Smith has done for quite some time. But it, it seems to me that McKinney and Winfield having that element in their game is hugely valuable over just a regular deep safety. Oh, I 100% agree. That's incredibly valuable, and that is the way the NFL is going. And Mitch McKinney, he's Isaiah Simmons got all the hype for his versatility. McKinney did literally the exact same thing in Alabama's defense this past year. That played the exact same role, basically, that Isaiah Simmons did, but just isn't you know 238 pounds, but was similarly productive. Uh, I think that's the new the reason it's not going anywhere, and that versatility is going to be more coveted, is because offenses are getting three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver mm-hmm. sets, five wide receiver sets are all pre- becoming more prevalent. You have to be able to match these trips and bunch sets with versatile guys. Uh, you know, these motions and resets just because they come out and, you know, one formation doesn't mean they're going to be staying in that and have guys that can, you know, adjust without completely, you know, having to sub, bring in new personnel, that sort of thing. So a guy like Xavier McKinney who, you know, in a pinch can fill in a linebacker and a pinch can fill in a slot corner and a pinch can go to safety and you know, not be out of place in any of those situations is hugely valuable because then you have an answer for anything the offense wants to throw at you. It's sort of like the offensive version of having Kyle Juszczyk, where like he lines up at wide receiver, and it's just something that is comple- completely different, right? You know, and so yeah. uh, there are very few of those guys, and I've liked McKinney for the Vikings for that reason. Now let me throw you some wide receivers: T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, or Justin Jefferson. Oof, gosh, of those. So to me, Jefferson is very much like Adam Thielen in Mm -hmm. in that where he wins. And so that can be redundant. Like you can't run those, you can't have two guys running the exact same kind of route tree. You need guys running different stuff. So I'm not sure that fit is great. T. Higgins, I actually like T. Higgins a little bit better as a fit in that offense, provides something a little different. And I think he still can be a vertical threat. So I like that. Probably Mims, though, would make the most sense just in terms of yes, four three eight speed. That in and of itself can play in the NFL, and in and of itself, like can provide value and uh, you know take sort of eyeballs and take defense defenders off of Adam Thielen because you can't leave 
can't leave a four six corner on a four three eight wide receiver. You just without help over the top, without something. Uh, so I, I do think that probably Denzel Mims of those three would be my pick. And at least theoretically, when someone runs a sub four four and has amazing athleticism and bursts and things like that. You could simplify it in the first year for them, at least in theory. We've seen people try to do this before, and it's exploded in their face. But the Vikings talked about regretting not using Cordero Patterson more on reverses and bubble screens and things like that. It's just, I don't know how good Denzel Mims is running after the catch, but it seems to stand to reason to me that if he goes bust, you might be able to find something for him to do to give you value, whereas an outside receiver, it's either going to work or it doesn't. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole point about the speed. It's that four three eight kind of has value. Like I said, you you have to just schematically defense the way they have to match up. So you can't leave a slow corner on a guy like that. If he's you know barreling down at your safeties, you're in a bad spot if you scheme him up free release down there. So uh, that in and of itself has value. Whereas uh, someone like someone like a like a T Higgins, just to compare on the outside, doesn't have that level of speed. You're not going to throw him screens. You're not going to give him end rounds. You're not going to, you know, teams aren't going to have to worry uh, about, you know, leaving a slower cornerback on the T. Higgins. All right. I have to ask you about offensive linemen. That was my tease because Vikings fans are obsessed with offensive line and they should be the way that the pass protection has played out the last few years. Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland. Oh, Josh Jones in a heartbeat. He's just, he's done it. The man has passed protected at an elite level. Uh, now nah, I get that it was at Houston, but he did face at least one draftable head center there in uh, Charlotte's uh, Alex Highsmith, I believe. It was Charlotte. I, actually, I can't remember. It might have been Tulane. But, uh, and then he went to the Senior Bowl, and he had the highest uh, grade of any tackle there in the one-on-one. So I just think he's done it and is more NFL-ready, and I think they could use some NFL-ready players in that offensive line. Uh, you were right about that. So how, how tough in it is it in your mind, though, for someone who did play at Houston – to be able to step in quickly because the Vikings have kind of a situation with Riley Reef where he's an average player, but he takes up a lot of cap space. And I don't know if you've heard this, they don't have any cap space to deal with. If they could draft someone and plug them in right away and at least get average play, it's a huge win for them. But if the guy's in over his head, then, you know, we know that Kirk Cousins is not making up for any poor tackle play. Yeah. So it will be a transition, but. The thing is, like, even if you are in the SEC and, and you're blocking against defenders like that, there's only, only going to face two draftable guys a year. Like, you're not going to face game in, game out. You're not facing a ton of talent. Like, that's just – that is the way of edge rushers in college football. There's not a lot of good ones. And yep. when you're not good, when you don't have it, like, they're all kind of similar in terms of, like, being able to beat them. So he completely manhandled them and then – the senior bowl facing guys who will play in the NFL does make you feel more comfortable when he dominates there. Talking with Mike Renner, the lead draft analyst for Pro Football Focus. The two-for-one podcast is a must-listen this time of year, uh, I have to say. Now, uh, Mike, uh, I'm looking at sort of the, the bigger landscape here of wide receivers, and there are so many options. Uh, if the Vikings decided to go cornerback and offensive tackle, they'd be in good shape in the first round uh, and take a wide receiver in the second because there's a lot of talented players there. But the guy that I just can't seem to pin down, who you talk about a lot in your podcast, is really liking is Tyler Johnson. And I don't recall if we talked about this before because we've been talking draft for a really long time now. But you really like 
Tyler Johnson of Minnesota and have for quite some time, but there just is a confusing buzz about him. There's some people that say he have character issues, but no one has really been specific about what those issues are. His production's incredible, but I also have no idea what his athleticism is because he didn't go to the combine and then his pro day was canceled because of coronavirus. So what is your feel on Tyler Johnson's draft value and could he be a steal in the late rounds? Yeah, he's a top 50 player for us because athleticism be damned he gets open like the guy has route running chops he's done it back-to-back seasons you know in the big 10 with i mean like they were, everyone was keying on him not this past year but at least the year before that and he still produced like he was their guy uh has showed showed a lot better hands this past season makes a lot of contested catches it's a physical guy there's a lot to like besides maybe high-end athleticism is probably the only real major weakness at this point for him. So I don't get the sort of hate in the off field. I wonder if there is something odd looming there that people are down him for that no one really wants to disclose. But to me, he's a second round type of player. But the more I hear, it sounds like he's going to go on day three at some point. Hmm, Yeah. And uh, every draft sim that anyone ever does has Tyler Johnson in it. And I can't blame them. I I can't blame Vikings fans for wanting him after they got a a look at him up close. I'm curious because I haven't seen him anywhere in anybody else's top 50. Like, who are some of the players that you uh, feel like you're very different on from the consensus? And I know the consensus can mean anything, but like, you know, you're Daniel Jeremiah's and Mel Kuyper's and sort of. Like the 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 main voices, who are you most different on than those guys? Whether it means higher or lower. One guy is Michigan's Donovan Peoples Jones. He's really I, I don't get the sort of hype around him. I get that he's athletic, but wide receiver is still a skilled position. Like it's, it's called it's literally the def, it's called a skilled position. You know, <laughs> right, it, right. It, you need to have. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into it that you need to be capable of that you just didn't show at Michigan besides high-level athleticism, which, again, I don't think is that big of a prerequisite to get open in the NFL. So, uh, yeah, he is athletic, but he's like 150-something on our board. A lot of people have him as a day-two day lock kind of guy. So I don't see it, but that's one. I got to try and think. Another guy is there's two edge rushers also that we're just lower on because, well, they didn't produce. And we've seen in our grades that edge production is very – predictive at the NFL level. There's, we're going to be low on guys who didn't do it at the college level. So Caleb on chase on from LSU and Etor Gross Matos from Penn state, both guys just middling production, high level athletic traits, but if you didn't produce on a football field, it's only going to get more difficult to do that at the NFL level. And you like Curtis Weaver a lot out of Boise state. He shows up on my draft Sims in like the third round, which kind of surprises me because he did produce a lot. So yeah, that dude dominated. I, I think like 70, 70- 74, pre- 74 combined sacks and hits in the last three seasons. That's more than anyone else in the country, Jeez. I believe. Uh, he just, every single year, every single game, it seemed like, and especially this past year before he had a high angle sprint, is just basically like if you got one on one, he beat the tackle. He just had that sort of ability with his hands, that innate sort of feel to how, how to rush off the edge and how to attack an offensive lineman. He has that. You know, he doesn't have great bursts, and he has kind of an odd, squatty body type for the edge. But he still had a seven-second three-cone, which is a really good time for like a 265-pounder. So I'm, I'm all in on him. We call him a first-round type of talent. He's 
not going to go in the first round, though, for sure. But I think that's how good of a player you could be getting. You reminded me of Mike Zimmer calling Brett Jones a squatty body. And just we in the media room called each other squatty bodies for like the rest of the year after that. So uh, it's a good term. It really is. And you know exactly what someone looks like with this. They always got a squatty body. Like immediately, you know exactly. So it's it's perfectly uh, described. Um, Before I let you go, Mike, uh, Tua, it's got to be teams wanting him to drop right like the buzz that we're hearing yeah. about of him like this is smokescreen season and i'm just not buying that he's going to make it into the bottom of the first round somehow because people don't believe in the medicals and so forth oh yeah so it was i had to laugh the guy who reported to us on his unreported wrist injury was with the miami herald i'm, I'm thinking to myself oh where'd he get that information you know, who leaked that <laughs> Yeah. Leak that wrist injury to him, you know, <laughs> right? And it had to be someone within the Dolphins trying to drive down the price of a trade. Like that's why you would do something like that at this point in time. So yeah, I, I don't believe any of the falling sort of reports right now. Okay, because we were having a little fun with, hey, what if you know, right? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't see, I don't see any chance. I mean. Have you ever found that injuries in college translate to the NFL? Because there are so many guys who you hear, well, he's got this injury or that injury in college, and a lot of times injuries are random. Some fat guy falls on your leg one year, and what are you, injury prone? You know, I, I don't know how to predict it. There is something to tightness in terms of like muscle tears or tendon tears and, mm-hmm. and guys being prone to that and just having uh, tighter bound sort of. Uh, muscles and tendons and whatnot, but like guys who have breaks, like bones breaking, things like that, like Tua's hip injury is, I don't know. And there's also, I will say though, at the quarterback position, sometimes guys don't take hits well. Like I don't think Sam Bradford wore hits mm. well. Yeah. And that is something to watch with Tua. He does not wear hits the best. And so uh, that is a little concerning, but I do. I do think a lot of times that stuff gets a little overblown. Well, I'll put that dream in the back pocket then that that's probably not going to happen. But you never know on draft night. Uh, Mike, again, the podcast I told you just a week ago, but I'll tell you again, it's terrific two-for-one podcast. Wherever you get yours, you can just search that, and you'll find uh, all of uh, Pro Football Focus's awesome podcasts. Follow them on Twitter, at PFF underscore Mike. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Mike, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, I really appreciate all those kind of words, Max. Thanks, man. Yep, for sure. Yep. Mike Renner there, uh, one of my favorite people to listen to break down the draft. And what I love about Pro Football Focus's draft coverage is that they do usually have different takes from a lot of the other mainstream where it seems like everyone has decided on these certain players. So, you know what, uh, Jonathan, we're going to draft Sim here with a couple of minutes before we talk to Ryan Clark. Okay. And I want you to pick a, a theme for the draft Sim. So, Tell me whether I'm drafting, say, for example, to make Mike Zimmer happy or to make Kirk Cousins happy or drafting for 2021 or drafting for 2020. Like, give me a theme to draft sim. I want you to draft to make Kirk Cousins better this season. Okay. Make Kirk Cousins better this season. So I'm at 22 right now, Mm -hmm. and I think I'm going to go right away with Denzel Mims because we just talked with uh, Mike Renner about how Denzel Mims with his speed – is going to step right on the field, mm-hmm. and even if he isn't like great and perfect, that they can design things for him. So he's going to be at least somewhat dangerous, get him the football in some ways. So we've got a wide receiver to replace Stephon Diggs for Kirk Cousins. All right, now we're at 25. T. Higgins is gone, and in this draft sim, Tua drops, by the way. 
Oh, wow. So, you know, I don't know. I just, I believe Mike when he says it's not going to happen. You should have told me to it dropped. So, yeah, well, I've just, when I, when I draft Sim, I look at something like that and say, it's not really possible. Like, I'm trying to get results that I think could really happen. Now, Jordan Love is on the board still. But again, if I'm making Kirk Cousins better for this year, I'm not drafting his backup quarterback. (laughs) So one of the problems that I have is that there just aren't any offensive linemen outside of Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. He's a center. Not sure how that's going to fit. John Simpson from Clemson. Also not sure about like how good of a fit that is. If I get a guard or center here, Cesar Ruiz is the best guy I can get, or Ezra Cleveland, and that means going way down the board. I mean, that means getting guys that I could probably get in the second round. You're reaching at this point. Yeah, so I think even with this draft sim, unless I wanted to troll um, Delvin Cook and draft DeAndre Swift, which, you know, I mean, in terms of negotiating purposes, that's quite the message, but I don't think I want to do that. I could also get LaVisca Chenault and draft two wide receivers. Why don't we draft two wide receivers? This is helping Kirk. So if in the first round... Can you imagine how crazy Mike Zimmer would go? But this Zimmer's is, leaving this, his house. The, yeah, this is the Kirk draft. And yeah. here's so here's our theory. Our theory is that in year one, we just got two of the fastest guys who can make plays so they could step right in. And if one of them doesn't work out, the other one probably will. And Kirk will be happy. But we still haven't gotten many offensive linemen, so we need to do that. There's going to be technological issues. That happened between Mike Zimmer's conference call and Rick Spielman's conference call. <laughs> right. That's why two wide receivers are getting selected in the we first need round. To dra- a corner, well, sorry, Mike. Sorry, can't can't hear you. We just drafted another wide receiver. Mike, unmute your mic. Unmute your uh, your video there. We can't hear you, buddy. <laughs> uh, they won't. Yeah, they wouldn't be putting that out on the like hype video no. or whatever. <laughs> so in the second round, I still have a lot of good defensive players, and this tells you about this draft a little bit. Is that you know, whatever you don't get in the first round, there will be there in the second. And if you could somehow turn some of that draft capital in the third into a second round pick, you might be in pretty good shape. So offensive line is just flown off the board. And I, I'm having a lot of trouble finding a good offensive lineman here. I can get Ben Barch from St. John's. But um, you know what? I think I almost have to go with a defensive player because there's some really good defensive players on the board, and I would just be stretching too far right. in the second round. So I am going to go with uh, Jalen Johnson, the cornerback out of Utah, who Pro Football Focus has as a first-round pick. So in this scenario, I would feel like I was coming away with helping Kirk Cousins a lot with two receivers at the top, and everyone would be talking about, oh my gosh, can you believe they took two wide receivers? This is crazy. But... I still get my corner that I really like in the second round and somebody who can step in pretty quickly. So now I'm in the third, and I'm still kind of hoping for some offensive lineman to show up. But th- this could play out this way, that they struggle to find a good offensive lineman uh, in the first couple of rounds. But guards are sometimes around, and I've got my eye as it's draft simulating on Damian Lewis out of LSU, and I'm going to pick him for my first third-round pick. And so now I've got... One more third-round pick on the board here for this random draft sim. Before we talk to Ryan Clark, by the way, at 3 o'clock from ESPN about the NFL draft and his love for the office, which, like, where have you been, sir? (laughs) Right? Okay, so not many more players. I could draft another guard, which is not a terrible idea, or I can pick up um, another corner. Probably the best plays here is either Darnay Holmes from UCLA or Natani Muti, another guy that 
that they like a lot. You know what? Let's go two guards. So we get two receivers, two guards, and a corner. Is that a good draft for the Vikings? They get two playmaking, blazing fast receivers, a starting cornerback, and two starting, potentially starting guards. Now you still don't end up with another corner, which you probably need. You don't end up with a safety if you trade Anthony Harris, although you're going to get a draft pick for that. You don't end up with a defensive end, but we're assuming that Afadi Adenabo comes in. Like, I don't hate it. I don't hate the idea of trying to make Kirk Cousins the happiest man around since you just traded his star receiver. Yeah, I don't don't hate the way this this draft sim has turned out, especially getting those two good wide receivers or what is thought to be good wide receivers in the first round and you immediately filling in that hole of Stefan Diggs because you know one guy's not going to do it his rookie season, so why not add two guys to try and help out, fill help help fill the Stefan Diggs hole. Yeah, that's right. And uh, one guy is unlikely to come in and just fill in what Stefan Diggs did. And by unlikely, I mean it's almost impossible. So, um, you know, the first comment I got when drafting the receivers was, "You're going to have to get offensive line." But I'm not drafting a guard with 22 or 25. Right. There's just no value there. I mean, I got the starting guard from LSU and one of the bigger beasts in the draft, but guards just don't have the same sort of value unless they're really, really, really great. So I like that draft sim. Getting a couple of guards who are solid, getting a couple of wide receivers, and if they come away without a corner, then it's still a crime either way. Uh, Ryan Clark from ESPN joins us next. We're going to talk NFL draft and his new love of the office when we return here on Purple Daily. In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or use the keyword red at scorenorth.com. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience, and standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated Marketing Representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Movement up front, flag comes in, free play, Banks trying to take advantage, one-on-one coverage on the sideline, intercepted great by Okuda, great close by Okuda. Here's Winfield fielding the punts, spins off of a couple tacklers, he's still on his feet, Winfield still going, down the sideline, getting a couple blocks across the 10-yard line, Antoine Winfield, what a Ah, yes, the secondary will be very interesting for the NFL draft, and we are starting to get ourselves together for our draft coverage and exactly how we're going to work things out. By the way, if you're a WNBA and Lynx fan, I'm going to be hosting our uh, WNBA draft coverage. It'll be fascinating to see how ESPN handles that draft because the NFL will most certainly follow the blueprint that gets laid out. Anyway, now joining us on the show, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing uh, of ESPN, but also NFL fame and many other things as well. Ryan Clark, what's up, Ryan? Oh man, nothing much. Just uh, staying inside, pretty much. So, <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you, and the rest of us. 
Yeah, trying to keep up with this thing as much as we possibly can and, you know, just live life as uh, as best as possible right now. Pray uh, for everyone to stay safe. Ryan, we were debating whether we should play the office theme for you to start, to intro you, because uh, your, <laughs> your tweets on, on the office have been fascinating since most of us watched it five to seven years ago or more. <laughs> you know, I felt like no one told me about it, though. Like, I, I legitimately don't remember having a conversation during the period in which The Office was actually on network TV, yeah. uh-huh. where anyone said I should watch it. Nobody said, RC, this is something you have to see, which is weird to me because I'm a TV person. I love TV series, movies, all of these things. And so what it basically tells me is I had bad friends, I had bad <laughs> teammates. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to have to get a new group of those at some point. Uh, you know what, though, Ryan? You're you're not different from me because when it was on TV, I saw maybe one episode and just, you know, never thought twice about it. And it was entirely a Netflix creation. And I think this is what it is, that, you know, somebody watches it on Netflix, they tweet about it, we all start to pick it up, and then it becomes a thing. And people start making T-shirts and writing think pieces about it. So, So where are you now in terms of watching The Office? Have you made your way? into like late Michael Scott or are you in sort of peak office area now as you as you binge? You know what? I'm certainly in peak office area and I can honestly say I don't necessarily consider what I'm doing binging. Uh, while I'm in the house, there's always something to do and different things and I love the one-liners. I love kind of some of these, some of the stories that Michael Scott tells and so I only watch like three of them a day. Like if I watch three of them, I've watched a ton of them because I'm doing other stuff because I want to be able to pay attention. I want to be able to hold on to what I've seen. And mm-hmm. so I'm in peak Michael Scott time. I'm in peak office time. What everybody tells me is I'm about to start the third season, that the third season is the best season. So I'm excited about that. And the way this thing is looking, we're not about to be out the house anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. may get through the entire series. Well, I, I will tell you that uh, in hindsight, I think season two is probably my favorite, but two, three, four are like the peak Michael Scott times. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that at least you've gotten to the point where you've seen the basketball episode, a couple of the holiday episodes. So you're you're in good shape. But I think we're going to have to put up a Twitter poll on whether three episodes a day is binging, because I think that's pretty close. Even if you spread them out, Ryan, three episodes in a day is still, you know, I mean, I think that's borderline binging. I think maybe so. What usually happens is, though, after I watch about three of them, I start playing on my iPad or doing <laughs> something else, typing up programs. And so I have to stop myself because I just don't want to miss anything. I'm, right. I'm that intrigued by what's going on. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Well, let me ask you about some football since uh, you played a very long time in the NFL between the Giants, Washington, Pittsburgh. Uh, of course, people probably know you the best from the Steelers and from the Dark Knight, which, by the way, our producer, Jonathan, is a huge, huge fan of all those types of movies. So he was very impressed that uh, you were in the Dark Knight. That, that's correct, right? Your wiki isn't wrong that you were one of the players right, in the Dark Knight? I was. Okay. I, what was I that was. Like? And you know what's crazy, man? You shoot. We shot for like four or five hours. It was a day in training camp. It was our off day. We had to get there extremely early in the morning. And, you know, you don't even get to be on TV for a very long time. <laughs> like, like you're not right. even, you actually aren't really in the movie. You're basically an extra that doesn't get paid. That's what happens. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so it, it was one of those things though, that you, it was kind of the perk of playing for the Steelers at the time. And so it was a really cool deal. 
Um, Hines actually got to be in the movie and had a role in the movie. So that was dope as well, man. Uh, But, you know, all football players want to be actors or basketball players or rappers anyway. So it was a good exciting time for us. Talking with former NFL player Ryan Clark, also on uh, ESPN's Get Up, which has uh, become hugely popular. And I said, Ryan, that the, the model that they followed was hire very smart NFL players and you'll make some pretty darn good TV. And they've done that. And I wanted to uh, ask you about, um, you know, you, you don't get drafted. So you've got the, the draft coming up now, but you were a guy who was undrafted and fought your way to having a very long NFL career. For guys that are coming out in the draft, I mean, what kind of advice can someone who was undrafted give to those players about how to make it? You know, it was just about work. And and I can be honest, it's also, too, about understanding what you can't control. Uh, Heading into my first training camp, I knew I couldn't control how the coaches saw me um, how many reps they would give me, but I could control what I did with my time. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And uh, one of the stories I remember more vividly than any was getting on the plane to go to New York, my first training camp, my mother giving me a hug and telling me, go get a job. And <laughs> I remember I remember walking and thinking to myself, well, there's no way I'm coming back home. You know, I'm going to make this team. I'm going to stick. I'm going to have an opportunity and that was just the way I see it. And you just can't cut yourself. And that was that's what it was for me. And yeah. then we get an opportunity to go to Washington and playing for a team that didn't care how you got there. Mm-hmm. That was the blessing. You know, I'm on the field, and our starting secondary was Walt Harris, Sean Taylor, and Sean Springs. It was three first-round draft picks and an undrafted free agent. And I was that undrafted free agent. Hmm. And that never I never took that for granted, the opportunity I was given – the opportunity I had to make a career and a life for my family because people didn't care which way you got there. It was about what you did in the present. Yeah, and as a reporter, it's always interesting to me to ask any undrafted player because there are just so few. I mean, you, you go into a locker room and there's three, four guys, and, and they had to fight their way all the way up. And somebody for the Minnesota Vikings who is poised to get paid some money, Anthony Harris, very much like yourself, like uh, had to start with, practice squad, special teams, and then work his way up. And now the Vikings franchise tag him, and they're in kind of a precarious situation, Ryan, with their salary cap. I I wonder what you think of, and maybe you have safety bias here, but paying two safeties a a lot of money, and Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris at the same time, not something teams generally want to do, but Harris has been very good. There's also some really good potential draft picks here, and Antoine Winfield, Xavier McKinney, and, and so forth. So if you were the Vikings, how would you handle this situation? You know, it's a hard situation. You look at a guy with six interceptions, and, you know, Anthony Harris is one of those guys. If you go back to his college film, he's a very good player. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't a guy who just came out of nowhere who had had never been productive. And so um, these are some things that if you scout the game and you watch the film that maybe you could have predicted. Um, When you look at what we had in Pittsburgh, Troy is obviously one of the greatest players to ever play the position, which is why he's, you know, become a first ballot Hall of Famer. And at the time, I'd end up going to a Pro Bowl, and I played and started for a lot of years. And I was in Miami, and Miami ended up offering me more money than Pittsburgh. And they were going to let me be the guy there, but I ended up going back to Pittsburgh for less because I knew they couldn't pay us both, I guess, necessarily what we were worth. And I think you get into that situation when it comes to safety. There's a position that, unless you're transcendent, 
right? And I think even, you know, as great as Harrison is, Harrison Smith is, he's not necessarily transcendent. You know, he's not Ed Reed. He's not Troy. Only those guys get paid like they're supposed to. Only those guys get paid money and you're not really stressing or thinking about maybe I could go elsewhere. So when it comes to Harris, you know, they're going to have to look here to see what they can do in the draft. But I don't necessarily know if he breaks the bank or gets the money. Yeah, he's going to feel his interception total of this year's work. Yeah, it might be in my mind it, it, for him. It might be a good idea to sign an extension with the team that likes him and that has seen him, even if he thinks his value might be higher somewhere else, and he doesn't sign the franchise tag or uh, or he gets traded or something like that. It it might just be a benefit to him to stay with the team that he already knows uh, where he fits and how he fits. Is there anybody uh, from the safeties in this draft class or even the corners that you want to mention that that stick out to you? I don't know how much of a draft Nick you have become in between watching office uh, episodes, but uh, (laughs) from from a uh, safeties perspective, is there somebody you like? You know what's crazy, and, and I hate to do this because it's Minnesota, but there's a tweet of mine from maybe two weeks ago. I was going through uh, some of the draft prospects, and it was Antoine Woodfield Jr. And it, it's funny, my son is a freshman at Arizona State. Uh, he plays corner for mm. Coach Herm, and he was home because of what's going on. And it was right. like midnight. And I shoot him a text, and I'm like, I need you to Google Antoine Woodfield Jr. I need to go watch his <laughs> highlight film. And, you know, and he's watching it, and he's texting me from his room. We're texting back and forth. Um, and I trained Grant Delpit. Um, I ran his virtual, I ran his pro day uh, this uh, past week, and he's obviously a great player. But I think if Antoine Winfield is two inches taller, if he's a little bit leaner, a little bit longer arms, we're talking about this guy in the top 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I sent out the tweet, it was funny, Tyron Matthew, who I'm close with, obviously the LSU ties, he retweets me and says, People are going to overthink it and not draft him, and the dude's going to be a two-time All-Pro by the time he's 30. And I think that's that's the feel you get from him. He's a, a football player. Uh, he has an innate ability to find the ball, uh, whether it's fumbles, forcing fumbles, scooping fumbles, interceptions, tackles for loss. And I think those are the type of players that end up being great players for your team because they play special teams, they can play safety, they can play dime, they can play nickel. So he's a guy I'm very excited about coming into this draft. And I just, you know, with him, watching him quite a bit, obviously, as a gopher, I, you just can't, like, find instincts, right? I mean, you can't really train instincts or teach them uh, where you could see he's just natural at everything he does. And, of course, his dad, you would have seen his dad playing. You guys were around the same era. Uh, was a, a great and severely underrated NFL player himself. And so we had Antoine on the, on the show just yesterday, and he comes across as one of the most mature and bright kids. You could sort of see it, like connect the dots. He's got his dad's you know, intelligence and toughness and athleticism. I, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I feel the same way going like, is it because he's a gopher that we're kind of being homers here? But I don't think it is with him. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it is at all. And that was why it was one of those things. I actually, uh, when I sent out the tweet, he followed me. So I ended up just DMing him and just telling him, man, I love your game. Like, just keep doing, you know, what you're doing. Sometimes you feel like you're being overlooked or, or you're underrated. Um, but the way he plays, I think it's going to translate well to the next level, especially with the way offenses are moving to more spread, throwing mm-hmm. great tackler, great ball skills. He'll do a great job for some team.
Yeah, is that is that different, by the way, with uh, a skill set where he can come up and play the slot corner if they need him to, and, and he's got you know really quick feet, and, and what he did at the Combine, I think, showed people just what a good athlete he is, and he's not just you know instincts and NFL bloodlines, but the versatility part, I'm really interested in this draft to see how many teams are looking for their Tyron Matthew prototype guy. Well, I think when you see a guy like Tyron, Tyron win a Super Bowl, right, and the effect that he's had on any defense, He's played for. There's gonna. It becomes a copycat league, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing that with Lamar Jackson now. People are okay with finding quarterbacks that can run the football, and I think that'll be a piece of it too. But when you look around the league, you see guys like Buda Baker, even a Malcolm Jenkins, who I think kind of ushered in this era of nickel dime safety, right. where you kind of do it all and play it all. He was a former corner, so that that's a spot that teams understand that there is a, a value at, and he will fit perfectly into that. They'll obviously overthink it, and he may not go as high as his numbers dictate, but whatever team he lands on, they'll understand what type of player he is and hopefully understand how to utilize him. Yeah, I mean, you would think uh, all these years doing all these drafts, teams would figure out that there are certain things just correlate to success. And your description of Antoine Winfield just sounds like a guy who, even at worst, is going to be a solid player because of the character that he brings to the field and then all the other parts of it. Um, Before I let you go, Ryan, it's been really awesome. Really appreciate uh, all the insight and the office talk as well. I'm just curious about you being uh, on TV now, what that's been like for you in that transition because you're on you know, uh, different shows and things like that on ESPN. I see you on Get Up and, and of course, follow you on Twitter. But, uh, you know, you play in the NFL for a long time and you have a certain sort of structure to your life and then you transition to a a, a very different one. And now you got to do what we do and come on and give hot takes all the time. Yeah, you know, at first it was was a little difficult in the sense that I'm not really – you know, like if you look at my social media, I'm not like the selfie video guy. I'm not the hot take guy from the house. And so I kind of like to stay off the TV or out of out from in front of the camera as much as I possibly can. But I think when you're on, you owe it to people to be excited about having a great job. Mm-hmm. You yeah. owe it to people to study it, to put your heart into it, to actually know what you're talking about and give valuable information in your opinions. They're still your opinions. They're not necessarily right or wrong, but you want to have them based in fact. And so that's all I try to do. And more than anything, man, I think people forget that we're entertaining. <laughs> yeah, you right, know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to. Every time I come on, I'm not trying to stat you to death, number you to death, because you can Google that. You know, the, the same way we talked about Antoine Winfield Jr. Everybody knows about the interception numbers, but how does that play into the league? And I think that's our jobs as former players is to kind of give people a perspective of how we saw the game, how we see it now, how those things translate. And so it's been, it's been exciting. You know, you mentioned Get Up. It's cool to have a show like that where personality is important. And, you know, I continue to try to grow in this business, but it's one of those things that if it stops being fun for me, I think I'll just have to hang it up and do something else. Yeah, for sure. Well, I don't mean to heap too much praise on you, Ryan, because you're a humble guy, but uh, from, from my perspective, I just thought it was such a great idea to bring on smart football players and have them explain football. It's, it's a complicated game and there's so many cliches in this game that you can really just wash away and break down. And there's an appetite for it with how much people love the NFL. So when Orlovsky's on the board or, or you and 
Foxworth are fighting about something that's really in the weeds. I think people love it, and I think that's one of the reasons that the show has had so much success. So great job on that show, man. Oh, man, thank you so much, man. You have a great day. Yeah, for sure. Ryan Clark 25 on Twitter. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite follows and fun to watch uh, on Get Up. So there you go. And people don't understand, I guess, you know, that, that wouldn't know, having not been in a locker room or something, that a lot of the show now is like a Friday locker room where you have you know, players debating things around the league or in the NBA or whatever it might be very loudly while we sort of work our way around and, and interview players about the upcoming game and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of standing around and uh, hanging out and, and, you know, Sage talks about that all the time of... Like, that's the, the parts that NFL players miss. So, uh, great to have Ryan Clark on the show. And, uh, Jonathan, that's the first actor on the show that you've had that's been yeah. in one of your favorite movies. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Dark Knight Rises is probably one of the better Batman movies we've ever gotten, besides The Dark Knight, obviously. And that scene where, uh, I think it's Heinz Ward who's actually returning the kick while the field's crumbling behind him. It I know, is, spoiler yeah. alert, yeah. but it's a 10-year-old movie at this point. It's still one of the coolest scenes they've done. Can we talk about just real quick how many episodes a day of a show until you're binging? Because three is fringe binge. That's fringe. You're close. I mean, 23 minutes an episode, would you say? 22 minutes. If it's an hour. If it's a half an hour show, then maybe you're not full, like all the way binging if it's only three episodes. But yeah, if it's if you're only doing it for an hour at a time, hour a day, that's not binge. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. You'd have to do at least an hour and a half, probably. Yeah. You want to look at uh, Mel Kuyper's mock draft? Yes. Well, we have a few minutes here before we connect with Sam Ekstrom. Uh, Sam Ekstrom is going to come on. He's from Zone Coverage and discuss uh, Kirk Cousins had a Zoom call today. Like, this is the world we live in that we all know (laughs) what a Zoom call is. Even if you had said, what is Zoom, like, three weeks ago? Like, I don't know. Zoom what? Uh, and yes, now there is uh, that is a thing. So Mel Kuyper's mock draft, which is it becomes news. He's been around for so long and he's so well connected and, and so forth that it, it where he has guys in the draft is a news item for pretty much every local media. And the most interesting part of it is you start with round one, pick one. Of course, it's Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. Chase Young, Jeff Akuda. Okay. The Giants, Isaiah Simmons, all right. At number five, Justin Herbert taken, and not Tua. And he is saying that the durability concerns about Tua would have some teams pick Justin Herbert first. I don't think Justin Herbert is good, and maybe I will be completely wrong. Quarterbacks are really hard to pick out, just like every other position. And anyone who thinks that they're good at it, you're not like you're just not nobody is nobody is consistently great at figuring out who the best players are the teddy bridgewater draft is the best example blake bortles is horrendous johnny manzel was like a mess a complete disaster failed out of the nfl failed out of the cfl failed out of the aaf and the xfl didn't want him yeah right you can't do worse than that (laughs) (laughs) he is the second quarterback off the board yeah the third quarterback off the board is Teddy Bridgewater, who's a franchise guy uh, before he got hurt. The uh, third one is Derek Carr, who has been a franchise guy for the Raiders. You could say that he's 
you know, not a great franchise quarterback, but when you get a second contract and you're with one team that long, you're franchise QB. That's what you've picked. And the fifth quarterback off the board is Jimmy Garoppolo, who's just in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> the teams don't know what they're doing. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm not claiming to know. But here's one thing that I think I've figured out over the years is spot the Bortles. If you can spot the Bortles, then you're ahead. That's a great motto. Spot the Bortles. We'll have uh, make up the t-shirts. It's like your draft the wee guy. Spot the Bortles. Spot the Bortles. Justin Herbert is the Bortles. The guy is inaccurate on short passes. He is does not have like gamerness to him, leadership, the stuff that we were talking about early on the show for Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you grew up watching Elway or Favre, you're always looking for that. Like, who's a gamer? Or who, if you grew up watching Montana, who's a field general? Like a you know Tom Brady or something. That's what you're looking for. Either those two things. Those two things will win. He's neither of them. So he's not accurate on 90% of the types of throws that he makes. He's not consistently accurate. And he doesn't have the leadership element of it where you'd say, well, at least he's a baller and he's going to grind his way to victories or something like that. So it's hard for me to put him above Tua, even though Tua has the concerns. Now, they have the Los Angeles Chargers uh, drafting Tua. I still think that Miami is going to take him. But if you are the Chargers, you're trying to put out as much propaganda as you can. Yeah, Yeah, Miami's a bad kid. Uh, I think I smelled some weed when he was around. (laughs) If if Tua falls past Miami, that is the dream scenario. That is the perfect scenario for the Chargers after the season they just had with Phillip Rivers, letting him go after however many years they've the length of time that they've had Phillip Rivers. Yep. And then having Tua fall to you past Miami, who everybody thought would have taken Tua, that's the perfect scenario for the Chargers. Turn it right over to the yep. next guy and you're uh, going they... into a new stadium. What better way to introduce or get new fans than bring in Probably the best quarterback prospect outside of Gerald Burrow in this draft. And you can have Tyrod play next year mm-hmm. if you don't feel like Tua is fully ready. And that's one of the great things uh, about that situation is that you have a quarterback with starting experience who was not terrible, who had his team in playoff contention and got his team into the playoffs when he was in Buffalo. And they had not been in the playoffs since like the 90s. So, you know, he, he, it's a good situation for them if they could get Tua. Now, going down this thing. Um, you know, you got your guys, sort of the typical stuff. Makai Becton goes to the Browns. Um, you have Jerry Judy going pretty high. C.J. Henderson, the corner, C.D. Lamb, like the names that you've all seen. But where it gets sort of interesting is around where the Vikings are. Now, Xavier McKinney, a guy we talked about with Mike Renner, uh, Mel Kuyper thinks he's going to go pretty high. And he also thinks that of Caleb on Chason, who's another guy that I'm sort of intrigued by. Now, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name properly that the Vikings have. It's his last name's from Arizona State is spelled A I Y U K. So is that Ayuk? Ayuk? That's what I'd think. I don't know. That sounds like a um like a Montreal Canadian. <laughs> so anyway, I haven't watched any of him because I've never seen him pick this high. He's right. he's a guy that I've thought was sort of your second round, maybe Someone falls to you, but a playmaking wide receiver nonetheless is who he has at 22, and most people have that. And then Jalon Johnson, the corner from Utah at 25, and I listened to an interview with Jalon Johnson on the PFF podcast and uh, really, really impressed with him. And That's one thing that I consistently notice when guys succeed. You're talking about like the Bortles factor of you could spot what might be the red flags there. 
when you talk to a guy when he first gets there, um, you can usually tell who's kind of got the intelligence to do it because it's a really it's a smart man's sport. Uh, and here's the thing, though, that would make people's minds explode. If the Vikings took Jalen Johnson and then the next pick was Antoine Winfield Jr., yeah. that's how Mel Kuyper has it in his mock draft. So he's also got he's got uh, Cesar Ruiz going really high, 27 to Seattle. That's an interesting one. Um, T. Higgins. So he's saying that the guy from Arizona State would be picked over T. Higgins. I don't know about that. Question um, for you. Very interesting, though. If the Vikings get to 25 and Antoine Winfield Jr. is still there, they haven't taken a cornerback yet, do they take him or are they just going to take one of the true cornerbacks? I think they're going to take safety? the corner. Yeah, I think they're going to take the corner, but it all depends on what happens with Anthony Harris. And I think we're going to find that out in like the first round. Yeah. is whether they're trading Harris or not. And then at 58, Mel Kuyper has them taking Ezra Cleveland, the super-athletic offensive lineman. That one I can co-sign on. I think that's that's like Brian O'Neill Part 2. It's exactly what they're looking for. The guy's a freak athlete, ran a 4-9. Like, that's what they want. Um, so he could probably even play guard or be a swing tackle. Um, Mel Kuyper suggested he could play guard in the first year and then move over to left tackle, so... There you have it. Uh, let's talk with Sam Ekstrom of Zone Coverage. He was on the Zoom call with Kirk Cousins that went on during our show, so I haven't heard it. And Sam is going to tell us what Kirk Cousins had to say about the trade of Stephon Diggs, coronavirus, the possibility of not playing games or starting late. Lots going on on that, so we will discuss when we return on Purple Daily. We know you're spending more time at home during COVID-19, and we got your back. Join Score North. Three different ways while you stay at home. The free Score North app on your phone or tablet, scorenorth.com, or just by saying, Alexa, open Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download powered by Pod MN. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. If you're just joining the show, hopping in your car, just turning on your app, you may have missed the Ryan Clark interview we just had last segment. And we asked him about Antoine Winfield Jr. and his thoughts on the gopher safety, who's projected to be a first or second round pick in the NFL draft. Here's what he said. But I think if Antoine Winfield is two inches taller, if he's a little bit leaner, a little bit longer arms, we're talking about this guy in the top 15. Mm-hmm. And when I sent out the tweet, it was funny, Tyron Matthew, who I'm close with, obviously the LSU ties, he retweets me and says, people are going to overthink it and not draft him, and the dude's going to be a two-time All-Pro by the time he's 30. And I think that's that's the feel you get from him. He's a, a football player. Uh, he has an innate ability to find the ball, uh, whether it's fumbles, forcing fumbles, scooping fumbles, interceptions, tackles for loss. And I think those are the type of players that end up being great players for your team because they play special teams, they can play safety, they can play dime, they can play nickel. So he's a guy I'm very excited about coming into this draft. You can go check out that full interview on the Score North mobile app or anywhere you find your podcast when we post the show in just about half an hour's time. PodMN is the number one source for local and on-demand Minnesota audio. Discover hundreds of unique podcasts produced right here at home in Minnesota. Download the PodMN app on Apple or Google Play stores. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. You know, Jonathan, I feel like I have overpraised our last couple of guests, Mike Renner and Ryan Clark. <laughs> so Sam Ekstrom Good now luck, is on the show. Hello, Sam. You're on the show. Hi. 
you can underpraise me every day of the week. I'm totally fine with that. I will be that guy. I can't live up to uh, Mike Renner of Bachelor and PFS. Yeah, thing. that's right. He was on The Bachelor. Um, okay, well, Sam Ekstrom writes for Zone Coverage. His work's okay. It's all right. He's definitely someone who writes about stuff. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the Zoom call, Sam, because this is our life now uh, that you were on with Kirk Cousins first. Um, you have to tell me because I'm so jealous. They did it during the show, and I just thought yeah. this is guaranteed for funny stuff to happen, and I'm not going to be there. Uh, did it? Did it go smoothly? I'll tell you what, there's some serious beard game coming from the sports media right now. We've got some quarantine beards. It's like Tom Hanks, you know, in Castaway. Uh, very impressive stuff. We had people asking questions with the mute button on. We had people with, with blurry uh, webcam cameras. So you can, it looked like they had their face blurred out, like on one of those to catch a predator shows. Um, it, it, it was an unbelievable experience. Oh, man. I really wish I was there. Well, I, I don't think it'll be my last chance considering how things are going, but uh, I am jealous that you were on there. So amidst all of this nonsense, did you get anything from Kirk Cousins? You know, I we did. It was a pretty good chat with Kirk. Um, opened up a vein a little bit about Stefan Diggs and sort of continued the, the cordial messaging between the two which i don't know if that's 100 percent accurate but you know Diggs was very complimentary of cousins and his his players tribune piece and cousins was likewise very complimentary of Diggs. and and you're like well why why do you trade him then um, but he did say that it was apparent Diggs wanted to play elsewhere which i think we knew we knew that for a while um and that was i guess sort of the probably the end of a lot of the digs talk that we're going to hear for a while now that the cousins have sort of addressed it uh maybe we'll hear from zimmer and spielman down the road but uh, i will say too that cousins is very confident in the offensive direction hmm. uh he he doubled down on the the two tight end three tight end fullback based offense that Gary Kubiak's going to be running and and he didn't say anything along the lines of, well, we're excited to get another big receiver in here to try to fill his shoes. He, he said, you know, we're, we're going to try to replace Stefan Diggs with a lot of players. So uh, if, if that is going to be the case, you know, they're going to try to make up for him in aggregate. Good luck, I think. I don't think you can, can make up for a Stefan Diggs that way. I don't think that's how it works. It's not like basketball where you just have to, you know, re- replace a player's uh, – points per game just his, mm-hmm. his intangible impact is, is so great that i think that's going to be tough to do but draft is ahead a lot can happen uh, a lot of players could be coming in here that'll change the narrative I, I do want to circle back to kirk cousins saying that it was apparent that he wanted to play somewhere else and i want to give like a joe pesci goodfellas like apparent how like it please please do share exactly what you mean do you mean skipping practice or tweeting constantly or is there something else now the the matter of whether it was cousins that he wanted to get away from i think is hard to figure out um because they were so complimentary of, of each other and you mentioned in the players tribune piece but i also mentioned that somebody or i also noticed that someone else was not mentioned in that piece and that was mike zimmer so you know it, it was very clear i think to everybody that he wanted out and he is now gone and i saw from just quotes that were tweeted out that you know cousins acknowledged that he was an elite receiver and he says the best receiver he's ever played with so if cousins is saying like oh it'll be sort of fine because i like the offense i mean 
it's going to be hard to be fine without having Stephon Diggs in your offense. Yeah, I mean, how do you replace his ball tracking skills? How do you replace his ability to separate instantaneously at the line of scrimmage? Right. You, you just can't. You can't do that. Um, and and you, it's good to spread the ball around. Like we acknowledge that. That's kind of how they got along without Adam Thielen last year. And Cousins alluded to that that stretch. He said, "Well, without Adam, we were able to do this and this and run the ball." And and I think that that can be true, but. I mean, let's be honest. This team's looking at a loaded receiver draft class, and and they've got their eye on, I'm sure, some pretty high enders that that they think can eventually become uh, the next the next one two punch with Adam Thielen. Um, but but in the meantime, it's a bare cupboard, man. I mean, it's Thielen, and then it's Tajay Sharp. Like it's it's hard to even know who the clear number two is. I forgot they signed Tajay Sharp. Like so much stuff has happened since they signed Tajay Sharp, just in our lives that I forgot right there that he was even on the team. Uh, Sam Ekstrom from Zone Coverage joining us here uh, on Purple Daily. So what else? What else do we got? What is Kirk Cousins doing? Is he set up a net in his backyard or, or something to throw footballs to? Is he creating little wide receiver children and having them run routes in the backyard? Like, what are these, what are these guys to do to keep themselves in actual football shape while confined to their backyards and basements and such? Right. Well, from what I gather, this is sort of the Kirk Cousins routine. He works out in his basement, goes out in his driveway occasionally to get in some some cardio. Uh, said that he throws the football around with his brother or neighbor. So he, he is letting a couple people in to help him get the arm loose. And uh, and yeah, I mean, just I, I think the virtual meetings with his coaches and teammates can start here in a few days. So then they'll do a little more probably, uh, you know, studying. But at this point, he said it's just about keeping his body in good shape. And he said that he feels like he's in about the same shape he would be if there wasn't a global pandemic. Um, so that's where he's at. You know, I think that the real the real challenge is going to be integrating these rookies because they're going to have this massive draft class. Mm-hmm. If Rick trades down as much as he usually does, they're going to have like 15 players and then all the UDFAs and they've got to get on the same page as Kirk and the offense. And fortunately for Kirk, it's pretty much the same offense with Gary Kubiak. So I don't think the challenge is with Kirk necessarily learning terminology. It's with everybody else getting on the same page. And, oh, I don't want to get let this get away, uh, Caller. He said that he wants to unlock his athleticism more oh, and do yeah, more running. Too. Do me more too. running. I want to un- unlock my athleticism, too. You, you've you seen me shoot a basketball, Sam. It's not bad, but athleticism is not my thing, so I also am trying to unlock it, and the odds are just as poor as him unlocking his. I, I feel like every time he took off with intention to run, there was like a linebacker that would just stop him in his tracks. <laughs> yeah. it, what, when he did try to unlock that, you know, I'm like, no, put it back in the box. <laughs> Have you ever run before? <laughs> I mean, it, it was it is amazing of just like watching the 2009 game last night and some of the the small athletic things that Brett Favre would do, just sort of slamming on the brakes here or there, contorting his body to throw the ball. And then when you watch Kirk Cousins, where he really has to be on the right platform and please don't run. Remember when he tried to run against San Francisco and then almost got himself decapitated and they were like, yeah, that was that was all right, I guess. Since he didn't die, I, I guess it was okay. <laughs> He's just, it's not, it's never going to be part of his game. Um, but Sam, I, I'm curious about, um, have you been draft simming a lot? Because we have gotten the, 
to the point on the show where we are doing themed draft sims. So we are simulating the draft as if Zimmer was in charge and as if Kirk was in charge and as if, you know, whatever. We'll probably get down to Lester Bagley being in charge or something eventually. But um, how? who do you think is going to – is it between Zimmer and Cousins, who do you think is going to be uh, happy and who do you think is going to be upset or slightly annoyed out of draft night? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, to answer your first one, yes, big simmer, uh, definitely simmering quite a bit. Um, but who's going to be upset at, at this draft? I think, I think probably Zimmer. I mean, I, I feel like they, they're going to double down on the offense and probably give Cousins, you know, the pieces that he needs to succeed because I think you have to outscore teams this year. I think you have to score 30-35 on occasion because the defense has just lost so much. I mean, even if you do draft heavy on defense, a lot of those players won't be able to contribute right away. So I think you try to supplement the offense, make them as strong as possible where they can conceivably be top five in the league, and then just hope that you can develop those defensive pieces that maybe you have in-house and just piece things together. But, you know, obviously uh, we know that they've lost a lot of leadership and talent on that defensive side. So I'd go, you know, pretty heavy receiver. I would draft a tackle. I would draft a guard and just give Cousins all the help he needs. And, and Mike Zimmer, I don't know where, where he stands in all this, but I assume he's going to want to pound the table and sort of replace every hole they have on defense person for person. And I think this year they might have to say, you know, Mike, we're going we're gonna to get there. we got a lot of picks. You might have to deal with some sixth and seventh rounders instead. Um, they're going to address a lot because they have a lot of picks. So, I mean, I think everyone will kind of get what they want, but I would say the early picks, you know, kind of zigging away from what a lot of people think. I think they they could bolster the offense and, and make that thing into a pretty good unit. So we just did a draft sim with Kirk in mind, like as if we had him just on the phone and we're asking him which guys to pick. And if you take two first-round wide receivers, it's not that crazy, Sam, because, I mean, yeah, okay, Tajay Sharp definitely is a person who will get a jersey, but, I mean, as far as a difference maker – Hard to see. Even the same with B.C. Johnson. Nice player, but difference maker, I don't know. And other times that they've put all their eggs in one first-round receiver basket, uh, yeah, it worked with Randy Moss, but not so much with his replacement, Troy Williamson. And so I guess I, I think if they draft two receivers out of the first three rounds, I don't have a problem with that. And, th- and mix in a guard, mix in a tackle. And th- that, in my mind, is the best direction to kind of play to your strength. You know your offense. You know your quarterback is good. You know as long as he signs an extension, your running back is good. Why not make them better? And then say to Mike Zimmer, okay, buddy, let's see you scheme your way. You know, I, I think I think you have a better chance of being a great team if you fill up the offense than if you try to draft a bunch of defensive players and hope they're good right away. Mm-hmm. I like the way you laid that out with two receivers in the first three rounds. I think that's a good sort of rule to follow for this. They've got five picks, obviously, uh, you know, 22, 25, 58, and then the two third rounders. I think you probably have two or three players that you circle and you say, okay, these are wide receivers that if they fall to 22, maybe it's T. Higgins, uh, maybe it's Henry Ruggs. Like if they fall to, to this number, okay, we're taking them. Otherwise, we're going to wait on wide receiver because there's such a depth of talent. We can wait till the second or third round, still get our guy. Then you take somebody in the trenches. You, you take the best available defensive tackle, best available defensive end, best available offensive tackle. Maybe it's Tristan Wirfs. You know, you have so many needs that you can really play at BPA, best player available, and 
let the board come to you. I think this is the most freedom the Vikings have had in this draft for a long time. They've got a ton of capital. But you do need to walk away with some of those high-end receivers. You know, you don't want to wait too long. You don't want to try to get such good value that you wait until they're all gone and suddenly you're in the fourth round and, and you don't have any choices left. No, I, I think you, you try to go two in the first five picks. Uh, and I think there's awesome value there. Like, there's so much wide receiver talent that I can't figure out who's going to fall. I mean, it, there's a couple clear, you know, they're going to go in the top 10, top 15. But other than that... I think you can make a case for so many that there's inevitably going to be players available for the Vikings that are, are going to be considered really, really good. And how much draft stock are they adding by trading Anthony Harris on draft night, Sam? Uh, I think they're holding out for a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, I feel Can't like that. I feel like. It. Can you? Yeah, I mean, it's. No, I mean, I think that's why they're kind of at a stalemate right now. The, the whole thing is, it's, it's a bummer because he's such a great player. Um, the team obviously wants to keep him around. They don't have the money to do it. He deserves to get paid. Uh, he's sort of in purgatory right now because he's got this one-year tender. You know, does he want to play out the, this one-year tender and, and risk injury and risk losing this unbelievable draft stock mm-hmm. that he has right now? But he just plays the, he plays a position that's a little bit devalued on defense, right? I mean, you, right. you want to be a corner, you want to be a defensive lineman, and he's playing safety, and he's maybe the best one in the NFL right now who's, you know, quote-unquote available. And, yeah, he's, he might not be able to cash in on it right now. So, uh, yeah, it's a bummer for the Vikings. It's a bummer for him. And, and they may have to settle for a third or a fourth. I mean, if they if they really want to get something, anything, they're going to have to make a concession. And I feel like teams know that, and they're just going to wait it out. Sam, I've been playing Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest a lot uh, during this uh, quarantining as much as we possibly can. What have you been doing? Like, Have you been doing any like old game watching or video game finding? I know that uh, you just had a child, so that's probably keeping you busy. But what else? I'm not big into the old game watching. Uh, I don't play video games. I'm painting a picture of a very boring life right now. I realize that um, I do keep up with my TV better. So I'm I'm kind of up to date with Better Call Saul, up yes. to date with Westworld. How good was that episode with- last night? Better Call Saul. Unreal. So good. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and the week before that, too. Like, I, know. I mean, the last two have been dynamite. And next week, I guarantee is going to pack a punch. It's going to be crazy. Uh, can't wait for that. I, I count down the days until Monday night. But, yeah, I, I don't do a whole lot, man. I'm, I'm child-rearing, and uh, <laughs> I, walk the, I walk the dog occasionally. I'm trying to get the lawn looking nice now. It's covered in snow, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of the same day-to-day. There's, there's not much going on at the Ekstrom house. Sentences like, I'm child-rearing, do not get you a better intro than you got for this show, Sam. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sam Ekstrom. <laughs> from uh zone coverage does great work there uh which is why you're on the show and you can follow him at sam ekstrom on twitter well thank you and we'll uh see what disastrous things will befall us on draft night zoom calls i look forward to it i i can't wait for it man uh we'll talk to you soon all right take care sam uh sam and i once drove from sacramento to santa clara at 11 o'clock at night to cover a playoff game because that was the only way we could fly out there without costing our respective companies $1 billion. So, How did that drive go? Was that terrifying? No, it was okay. We okay. went to In-N-Out, so okay. that's a good Ooh, start to it. That is a very good start. And then, you know, just, I don't know, talk about football or something. <laughs>
Not child rearing? What do you do? No, at the time, he was not rearing yet. Uh, so... <laughs> Now he, all right, let's hope that never is said on the show again. <laughs> I might have to pull that for a drop. Yeah, I had something else that I was going to talk about, and now I am really caught up on that. Uh, Christian McCaffrey contract, we didn't die. We dove a little bit into it with um, Courtney Cronin yesterday, and the debate is still raging on the internet and always will for running backs and when they get paid. And I just don't know what to do about this one, Jonathan, because there's um, there's a part of me that looks at this and says, you know, it's always more complicated than it seems. Like, I, I think Steve Palazzolo on our show really broke it down quite well that when you have a Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook, they draw so much attention that, you know, of course they're not quarterback. Mm-hmm. No one thinks they're quarterback. In fact, consider what, Kirk Cousins is going to make in cash this year versus Christian McCaffrey. The, McCaffrey's going to get 30-something million guaranteed, while Kirk Cousins got 84 on his last contract guaranteed. So nobody thinks that they're of equal value. But it's really hard to tell me that a guy who touched the ball 403 times last year for almost 2,400 yards isn't worth any money <laughs> or that they should just move on from him. And the same thing goes with Delvin Cook, that you it's just hard to tell me that somebody who is as good as he is and touches the ball so often in your offense just isn't worth anything, and you could throw any schmuck in there and they'll do the same thing. I mean, Christian McCaffrey over the last two years has averaged 5 yards a carry, 4.8 yards a carry, and 8.1 and 8.7 yards per catch. I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, last year he scored 19 touchdowns, led the NFL in touchdowns. Hard not to pay that guy and uh, you know, just move on and say somebody else can do the same thing. Um, plus the fact that McCaffrey is only 23 years old. He's soon to turn 24 in June. And Delvin Cook is actually older than Christian McCaffrey. He's going to turn 25 shortly by next season. It'll be his age 25 season. But having spent a lot of time watching guys growing up that were really good, like Thurman Thomas, Emmett Smith, and so forth, and then... There was that era where running backs seemed to be kind of back and dominating. Jamal Lewis goes for 2,000. Adrian Peterson, you had your Sean Alexanders at the time, and they were centerpieces of offense. And now what we have is you have to be a Marshall Falk or a Tiki Barber type to be the centerpiece of an offense. And McCaffrey is that. And considering that the salary cap goes up every year and every contract looks better as the time goes by, it always looks bad when it starts and it's shocking when it starts as time goes by. It's hard for me to say, yeah, okay, bad idea. Don't pay this guy when he gains like six yards a touch, whether it's a pass or a run. It's pretty darn good. So, yeah, it's not the same as a wide receiver like Julio Jones would bring to you, but you're also not paying him like that. That That's the thing about this is if this is the, the top of the mountain McCaffrey is still not getting paid like one of the best players in the entire NFL. So and I think it's the length of the deal that yeah. should be the key point with running backs. Yep. You, sh- you shouldn't sign him to the five, six-year deals. You should keep it to that three, four-year deal, and that's what the Panthers did, and I think that's what the Vikings probably should do with Delvin is keep it to four and below. And they have a lot of money, but over a four-year time span. Maybe that's the adjustment that has to be made because with Todd Gurley's deal, the Rams are eating like $21 million yeah. in dead cap. It's just absurd. Um, but... If you 
pay a lot of money on short-term deals. Mm-hmm. Let's say with Dalvin Cook, it was a two-year deal, but a lot of it was guaranteed and it was big money. Um, would you be mad? Like, No. No, I don't think so because I you think have I take a pretty that good sense for it. Yeah. Now, if you're talking five years... That's where I start to have an issue. Right. That's where it gets more hairy. But it's much easier to manipulate the salary cap on a five-year deal than it is on a two-year deal. So I'm still guessing that the Vikings sign Cook to an extension. I think that he's going to get the Stefan Diggs type of contract that's like five years and, I don't know, what was his, 70-something? I think it's like in that ballpark. I think they'll go five years so they can have the lower salary cap hit right away and spread it out, and then eventually we'll get to... <clears throat> excuse me, 17 game seasons and things like that. And that's how it's going to happen. But um, when you watch Delvin cook play, it's really hard to be like, Oh no, you just right. don't draft anybody. They'll do the same thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's so, hard to replace his, what he does for the Vikings. And yeah, it is very much so. And the receiving part of it can still grow, I think. So, all right. Um, enjoy the show today, tomorrow, Sage Roosevelt will be back. Courtney Cronin is going to be back for hour two tomorrow. So a lot to discuss as we march toward the NFL draft. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup. So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.